everybody. We are here with Dennis Benino with uh, Street Cop Training. Mistel, I know when you knew he was going to be in town, obviously you right away signed up for the training and you knew you wanted to have him on our podcast as a guest. Tell, tell us why. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd taken a few of his online courses already because I was in Maui when he was here in January. Uh, Must be rough. Right. Oh, my heart yeah. bleeds for <laughs> right. you. Uh, but the thing that I, I really liked is, uh, his Facebook page. So I'd been on, you know, some of his online stuff and kept track of everything that was, uh, developing on Facebook. And what I love about this training is that I'm all, you have to read case law to be able to do your job well. And I love their program and it, they, they nail that. Like there's no, not only does he tell you what's relevant, but he explains it to you. He explains it in a way that people can implement it in their work. So all day long, you can memorize Pennsylvania versus MIMS, but do you know how that applies? Do you know? Do you know how to use that at work? Do you know when you can? What's a search incident to arrest versus an inventory search? Do you do you know when how to call that in a in a in a written written report? And then uh, one of the the best things I found that was of most value to me thus far. You have a lot of valuable information, but thus far was that uh, that reasonable articulable suspicion checklist. That checklist is awesome. And so it, it basically takes everything you're trying to teach, like a new guy. So I did field training. It's everything you're trying to teach them and explain it, but he's already done all the work for you. So it's like hand them that checklist. Like, hey, did you see that? That's on the checklist, right? So I, I just love it. Anyone, Everyone should, should check it out. It's invaluable. You want to hear something interesting? Uh, it's funny you bring up field training because the name of the game for me is to recognize what the issues are and try to fix them. That's all it is, right? That's kind of what I do for a living. I'm actually coming up with this idea in my head, and we're going to put it to fruition. A little overwhelmed right now, so the business dynamics of things we have to figure out. But um, a virtual field training where, whether it's going to be in the academy, during the course of the academy, or during your field training program, where we're going to actually have police officers. My thoughts so far. Now, this is going to change. Uh, who knows? Uh, what I want to do is I want to get body cam footage from good jobs, right? So jobs that are real life and realistic. So you met Sean Barnett today. If we have police officers who are paramedics and got dispatched to a baby choking, having that body cam footage of what they did correctly, because when you're starting to program the brain uh, and the particular activating system, if you've noticed, I'm putting people in situations where it feels like they're there. If you can repeat this on several occasions and show what was done correctly, you'd have to have good jobs. You'd probably have to compare them with bad jobs. You don't want to show too many people doing bad things because it's going to burn into your brain. So imagine there's a kid choking, this paramedic shows up, does these things, the hysterics are going on, it's captured, and you're going to sit and watch this and experience and imagine yourself there. Well, if we can take 150 different scenarios, that can satisfy field training, especially in a place where their field trainings are um, you know, lackluster, and that has nothing to do with anything in particular. There are some agencies that don't have the ability to put their people through good field training programs for a a lack of funding, a lack of uh, personnel. We've heard from guys and girls who go through no field training or handed keys uh, in some parts of this country and sent out into the road. Literally, people in Ohio who um, have no funding and they're using patrol cars with 200,000 miles on them. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's nuts. And we're trying to solve those issues, right? We're trying to say, hey, we have a solution to this. And it's reasonable and it makes sense and it's going to have large-scale impact. So on a quick side note, that's actually something that's cooking in my brain. And 
I don't even know if I'll charge money for it. You know what I mean? I may have to just because of the time that goes into it. Um, it is a business and the lifeblood of business is, is financials, right? It's capital to, in order for us to grow and create better products and have better technologies and have better people on staff to get better stuff out. We have to procure money. But, um, you know, if, if you've noticed a lot of the things I don't do for money, I'm not money driven. That's not the game for me. The game is I'm really into cops not dying and into bad people going to jail. Those two things are my primary focus uh, as a as the leader uh, or thought leader of this organization, maybe law enforcement, uh, creepy creeping up in in a national level. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And you're obviously super passionate about what you do. And, and some people, you know, I'm a civilian might say, oh, well, police officers already and troopers, they already know all this when they, you know, they, they get all the training in the world and, you know, not to disparage any organizations at all, but people might think, well, what, you know, don't cops already know all this stuff? So uh, what's interesting is the, to address the first portion of your statement was you're dedicated. You have to be dedicated to anything that you're going to have success in. You have to be convinced. If you're in a field that you don't love, you're never going to be successful at it. And you see that sometimes with law enforcement. Maybe they've loved it in the beginning. Um, we just try to remind folks that, look, let's, let's go back to why you took this position. But for me, to do the things that I do to forfeit the time that I do with my family and uh, my personal life, you have to be committed and love it. On the other side of things, regarding police training, I always think it's comical uh, that the perception is that police officers are receiving the amount of training they need to perform in this job when, when things are changing over time. Um, it is a constant living, breathing animal of police training that needs to be tended to and taken care of because if you don't, it will die. And I don't mean that in a, you know, literal set of the, the, the you know, the literal terms that way. What I mean is it's just like anything else. If you do not take care of it and provide training, you will have a defunct uh, non-functioning member of a police department. And we see that a lot. We see police officers who will become uh, famous on YouTube, not for good reasons. And it comes down to a lack of training and a lack of perspective. And fortunately enough, a lot of agencies have opened up and understood that times have changed. And the old style of this is how we've always done it. We don't need that. That has changed as well. So we are certainly here to provide that next level of training that cops need beyond the academy. That's my answer on that one. There's so much I could say to that, but. Uh, cool. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I'm trying to take an amicable, amicable yeah. approach. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, and you know what, to be honest with you, to say one thing and blanket everybody with it would be unfair on both sides of the coin. Uh, there are issues in every profession, and this one certainly has many of them. They're not, there's no short change uh, of any issues on any level, and uh, there are people who care enough to try to make it better with and work with what they've got. So that's why I don't say blanketed things. I think everybody knows what the problems are. Uh, we're not trying to focus on the problems. We're trying to focus on the solutions, and that's where we're at. It seems like a lot of your stuff is like common sense stuff, and, and the training that you're here doing is really, it's for that cop or that trooper that, that's working the streets. Right. That's that's what you're that's this training is geared towards those that are on the streets pulling the cars over. I think that many different law enforcement. Look, it's for law enforcement. Right. But I think it's for a lot of people uh, to include 
different divisions. Um, you have federal agencies and agents who will be tasked at times or, or investigative services that are tasked at times with doing a traffic stop. And because they don't do them, because they've never done them, and they only do a couple a year, they will find themselves in the presence of criminal activity uh, or not picking up on body language and red flags that they could be in imminent danger that would serve them well if they had come to the training. There are, there are federal agents that don't know a lot of case law, right, and don't know what they're doing. Nobody was born with this knowledge, right? Nobody came out of the academy and knew how to do all this stuff. But when you've got, you know, 19, going on 20 years now in the, in the system, in the game of law enforcement, you recognize how to fix some things where our deficiencies are and how to make things better. And that's essentially what I'm trying to do. I've recognized this big white space. And people might take offense to that, but if we're all on the same page and trying to get better, why would you take offense to that statement? Let's all team up, get together, and fix this thing. You know what I'm saying? So to piggyback on that, I, I would even say more so for the upper, upper brass and supervisors. So one of the main things that I said, even coming over here into the public information office, was I need to stay relevant with what's going on on the road. So I'm going to work modified shifts, and I can't do well by my partners unless I know what's going on and what they're seeing and staying relevant. I feel like this your classes and your material is so important, even for upper brass, where that's not their primary job. But they're staying relevant with it. Everyone can benefit from from them at least having an idea of what you're you're trying to push out and and what it means to stay safe and to and to do your job well and be informed. And I think I think it speaks volumes when somebody does show up or gives the blessing for this training to occur. It speaks volumes of their character that they're at least willing to listen. They may not like it, but at least willing to listen. And on the latter, it speaks volumes of somebody who's adamantly against this. And I always tell people, they go, "Well, this guy doesn't like your training. This guy doesn't like your training." I'm teaching cops how not to die and how to put bad people in jail and benefit the public tenfold. It'd be much more effective than they are now. If you can't get behind that, I don't know what your goal is as a law enforcement officer. I just, I can't, I won't be able to figure that one out. You got to explain that one to me. So we know where those things are coming from. And anybody who shows up at least to listen, if they don't want to be there, uh, it speaks volumes of their character. And, 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 know that somewhere there is some humility as well. And maybe, if not, an abundance of humility. You know, we just had a guy last week. We just got a message from him. He's a 16-year supervisor, was never into the work that we teach, the proactive work. And he picked up on it because he's got the time on the road. He understands the principles. He's applying, and he's had three amazing arrests in a week since we're gone. And substantial. I mean, nothing, this is not, I'm not talking about went out and harassed somebody. He went out, and he was able to, intervene, intercept, and stop crime from occurring because of a perspective being given and a technique being employed. So, I really like what, how you talked about, too, because I said it on some of your, the training this morning about, well, first of all, you said, you know, ask the questions if you want to. There is no stupid question. And you talked about, you know, not letting ego get in the way and, and, and mentoring those younger law enforcement officers and not just saying, oh, you, sh- you should know all this. And really, you know, not just dismissing their questions and or assuming that they know everything and really mentoring them rather than making them feel stupid. It comes down to the culture of an agency and the culture starts at the top. So the top is recognizing this. They can't they have a duty to address it and change it. You don't got to be insane about it. You got to change culture. Something's not right here. These guys aren't taking care of the new guys. Why is that happening? And, and reverse engineer of how to fix this situation. And just a reminder of, hey. 
You were new once. You think you know everything now. That's not true. Um, and we have an obligation. People aren't leaving. They are your backup. They are your purse. They are your partner. This is a family, and we need to treat it as such. You wouldn't do this to your brother or sister, and this is your brother or sister. So that's us. I mean, we have we have very talented people, and I can promise you that the instructors associated with this company, the 15 we have at this moment, there is fiduciary interest at times, but overall, the rewarding feeling they're getting from helping, it's you can't put a price on it. You just can't. I just, you, we don't do things for money. We, we do things for money. But we don't do this at the core of it for a for a, for a capital gain, um, you know. So when we have people like that in our organization, it speaks volumes of who we are. And I am in no position to demean or speak about anybody else's organization. I'm just speaking on behalf of what we do and who we are. Uh, this is not an opportunity, and I'll never take an opportunity to sling mud towards anybody's direction. We just have to all understand what our obligations are uh, as a culture. And if you want to see change, you want to stop screaming at the TV screen, you want to start saying things are fair, well, the question you have to ask yourself is, are you part of the problem or are you part of the solution? You can sit here and stick your fingers in your ears and go la, 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 la all day long, or you can do something. Your choice. So that what kind of started you on this path? I know you would. You said you got injured in the line of duty. Yeah. Is, um, that what, is that what got you here? I was already doing the training. Uh, essentially what happened is I started reading case law, and I'm like, oh, my God. I cannot believe this is not being taught. And I'm watching people behave not purposely, um, naively or not with lack of knowledge, and they're, they're misbehaving in the field. Um, again, not purposely, just a lack of knowledge that it's not in accordance with what the law dictates is permissible or not permissible. So cops will do more than they have to or less than they're supposed to when there's a lack of knowledge, namely in case law. So watching coworkers, watching field training officers, watching new guys and girls struggling, not checking off these boxes, working with other agencies, watching them do things that I couldn't understand where they were coming from, um, Beginning to address, and by the way, it takes a lot of, and I'm not looking for pats on my back, but anything, anytime you try to implement change, it's like getting into the surf on the beach, which maybe you're familiar because you went to Hawaii, but here in Oklahoma, I can't imagine there's much contextual understanding of how the ocean works. But No oceans, we do have lots of lakes, though. Lakes don't have rough rough waters. Once you get through them, it doesn't stop getting rough, it's just a little more calm, and, and to take on that that challenge to start having the conversation. People do not like it. People do not like the conversation, but it has to happen. Um, I kind of got misled. I misled myself. I do this all the time. What was the original thing we're talking about? Just how you got, got into doing. Uh, so in a nutshell, in, in a macro explanation is, I just could. I just got sick of watching everybody not knowing what to do. And uh, that's very frustrating for me. And when people don't know what to do, uh, bad people get away with with things, and cops get hurt, injured, and innocent people are the victims. Ultimately, at the end, if you look at it, that's exactly what happened. So if I could do something about that, I would. And I tried, and believe me, every uh, every person that could criticize and ridicule did their very best to try to stop, disrupt anything they can on the mission that I had at hand. Uh, so it was quite... An interesting ride. Not a fun ride, but as I said to you before we started the podcast, anytime you're doing something like this, the emotional piper is going to put his hand out and expects his tax 
to be paid uh, sometimes more often than not, and it changes what tax you have to pay. So, you know, I don't really have to explain what we're about or who I am and what I'm doing much anymore as we become less obscure. But the more attention you have, no matter what it is, it is going to draw both positive and negative attention. You can, it's awesome that 26 people tomorrow will line up and want to take pictures with me, which is great. Uh, with all humility, I'm, I'm thrilled at that. But also, I know that somewhere, somebody is standing before 14 supervisors at some meeting and saying I'm the worst thing that ever happened to law enforcement. Uh, and those people who do things like that, believe me, their organizations are very interested in having them removed as quickly as possible. But it comes to the territory. And I don't get mad at that. I try to understand and empathize why somebody would take time to do that. I don't understand jealousy or, or, um, or insecure. I just don't, I mean, everybody's a little insecure, right? But like, I just never understood that. Uh, and it's my Ferrari theory. You ever hear my Ferrari theory? No. My Ferrari theory is this. What kind of person are you? When you see a guy driving a Ferrari, do you say, uh, an expletive, that guy? Or do you say, how did you get that car? That's what I want to know, right? So are you casting judgment right away? Are you so insecure that you couldn't understand? Maybe the guy worked, you know, for the past 17 years, 18 hours a day to get to the car that he wanted. You know, not everybody just got it handed to them by the grandfather. Most people actually haven't. And that's where we, we miscommunicate with each other. Um, I don't feel that way. I can't remember the last time I was jealous, to be quite honest with you. And, you know, I admire things, but I'm not jealous about it. And so, you know, we have to think about how we're behaving as people and hopefully find a better course of it. Are we going to change everybody? No. But to understand where that comes from, you have to understand that part of it. I just, I'll never get it. I'll never understand why somebody, why people behave that way. I just don't get it. I'll never understand why somebody would misbehave towards another person in a jealous fashion. So. Because it takes more effort to fix themselves. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons yeah. why. I I was like you were talking about insecurity. So why, honestly, why I love your training so much too, is that it allowed me to get a little bit lazier in this way. Like I put in a lot of work all the time to research case law and stuff myself. And so when I found your training, you, you led me to the tools that I needed to speed things up. Yeah. And so I would always, you know, I always tell people if I'm secure about something, insecure about something, I'm going to change it. And so what got me started on this path was, you know, working the road and I was new and trying to figure it out because I didn't I didn't have anyone to teach me this stuff because no one knew it to teach it to me. You want to talk about another reason why I did this? That's exactly why. Yeah. I wish there was street cop training 20 years ago. Really? Because we did okay. six years of stupidity before we figured out how to do police work. I literally like I, there's a few of few of the guys like we would go and we'd work and try to get into stuff and we messed up so much stuff. Like so I tell the new guys, you're going to mess it up. You are. But at least I'm here now to give you some material so you can get it faster than me. I want you to be better than me. And so. I just I love your training because it allowed me to to not have to work as hard to get the information because I, I would buy books and Google and yeah. it just it just took me forever. But so. it says a lot about who you are, yeah. right? You know what yeah. I mean? We're cut from the same cloth. Yeah. yeah. There's no question about it, right? Yeah. And I, I always tell everybody at the office, if I ever wrote an autobiography, be called it would be called willing. I'm just willing to do whatever it takes. Exactly. Like I'm willing if I had my my you know, I wanted to date better looking women in my twenties. So I was willing to get up in the morning and go to the gym. So that yeah. if I'm serious, yeah. I'll get a haircut every week, yeah. you know, yeah. like, because yeah. like that matters. Yeah. And like, I will, I will go out and practice. Like, so it's just, yeah. it's just a matter of, are you willing to do what it takes? I don't like to fly. I hate flying. Uh, but I get on a plane every Sunday right now through the COVID pandemic. 
uh, to fly to places where they're permitting training to occur because cops still need to get trained and we still need to provide that service. And if somebody is uh, conforming to the restrictions and we have the ability to host training, I'm going. Um, and that's just it. I'm willing. The whole world melted eight months ago, right? It was a, it was a mess seven months ago. And we were, we were a little concerned. We had a lot, we had a conference this year. We were on the hook for six figures for that conference. Fortunately enough, we were able to postpone that conference, uh, until next year and defer. So everything got worked out and everybody at my staff, I, I swear to you, I have the best group of people in the world working for me. I mean, they literally pulled their, their pants up and we got to work and we worked with what we had and made it happen. And nobody had to get furloughed. Nobody had to get a 25% cut. Uh, matter of fact, we were able to raise some folks because we were able to get so savvy and everybody in the office was just willing to do what it took to make sure we continued in our, and we're, we're, you know, I told them that a month ago, I said, guys, I feel like I've, we're out of the water and we're drying off and getting back onto the, onto dry land now. If we've made it through this, I don't know what can stop us outside of some kind of terminal illness. Knock on some wood, please. Yeah, you know, I, I, I do, but I'm, I'm, it's the reality of it is yeah. we're made for this stuff, right? We're made to be able to make it through tough situations. That is the police officer at the core is that they're made to deal with it. I've tried to provide help. Guys, it's not going to be this way forever. And we see it already switching and shifting back, you know, not in the internal aspects of it, but society has had enough. They do not want their cops being bullied anymore. So, you know, you need somebody to be reminding you of that. Like, guys, you wouldn't believe the conversation I had with people. Uh, I had a guy who was crying on the phone to me. Um, he had written something to me, and I'm like, bro, why are you getting so upset with me for? You know, it's over. This is over. Police work is over. And I'm like, what, you know, what are you talking about? Like, let's let's go into reality. And he just needed some perspective. And it just... It took me spending time. I never, never forget, it was a Saturday. My wife was yelling at me because we have kids and they want to see their daddy. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm on the, f I have to talk to this guy. Like he is on the verge of doing something he shouldn't be doing. And I don't know what it's going to be. He's not having a good moment. And uh, I helped him see a little more clearly. And I can tell you that he, he was very, very overcome with emotion at the end of that conversation. And it takes somebody who is responsible enough to understand that you can't lash back at people. You have to understand what's wrong with them and what's, and try to figure that out. And not a lot of people have that discipline. And I'm not saying I'm not patting myself on the back again. I'm just saying, I say this as an example of try to understand why people are experiencing things, why, why you're, why things are happening. And you know what? Um, I'm sure things are fine for that guy. But it was a, it was a moment where, again, I forfeited time with my family because I got really concerned. I was very, very concerned. And my wife, God bless her, is the most under, she has made my life so easy. I never have to explain, you know, I never have to explain. And it's, it's unfortunate. That's awesome. Yeah. Would you encourage your kids to go into police work? I will encourage my kids to do whatever their heart desires. Uh, if it's police work, which my oldest is saying now, which I think every kid says that for the most part, a lot of kids want to do that. Um, especially, I don't think they really understand yet what their daddy does. Um, you know, he'll explain to people that I'm, you know, oh, my dad's a police officer. I'm like, where do you work? I'm like, it's complicated. <laughs> uh, I kind of work everywhere. <laughs> like, I'm like, the, you know, so um, I have no interest in leading my kids down a path that they don't want to go down. Whatever they feel like they want to be, as long as they're good people, 
and not mopes. I'm comfortable with that. I don't care if my daughter wants to prune flowers for 14, 12 an hour, uh, which could be a police salary down here. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> not too far. For 14, 12 an hour. Uh, and that makes her happy. Yeah, then God bless. Now it's time for the highway safety update from the Oklahoma Highway Safety Office. Where do you think most distracted driving crashes happened in Oklahoma? If you guessed city streets, you're right. More than 45% of distracted driving crashes in 2019 happened on city streets in Oklahoma. Almost 14% of crashes happened on interstate highways. The most likely time for a distracted driving crash to happen in Oklahoma? Between 5 and 7 p.m. on weekdays. In total, 41 people were killed on Oklahoma roadways in distracted driving crashes in 2019. Do your part, Oklahoma. Put your phone down, keep your eyes on the road, and always wear your seatbelt. Live up to the Oklahoma standard. And now, back to the podcast. talked a little bit about budget cuts or you, you talked about money a little bit and and you know we're saying oh well we assume we already we have all this training at our fingertips but there are departments you know struggling with a lot of deep cuts right now and this this stuff is just not necessarily readily available that seems to be one of the first things that kind of goes by the wayside is training and this yeah. is this is what i have to say about that so i tell the guys all the time like we would talk and they get frustrated that training you know we aren't getting the training we think we should get and all that stuff the training department is going to get you home at night so you got to find it for yourself. That's right. And so I would rather pay 250 bucks for something that could save my life than to wait for the training department to pay my way to something. Choose yourself. Exactly. Pick and, yourself. And and by the way, you can also get pretty savvy, right? Like this is where good leadership comes into account of you may not have money, but you can figure it out. And you'd be surprised how many people make do with very little and how some other folks do just the opposite. They waste um, so I think that it can be figured out. And you know what? We put a lot of time and effort into our Facebook group and the training platforms that we offer that don't cost anything because we do hear from guys in the middle of nowhere and girls in the middle of nowhere. We get nothing. This is all we have. There's three people at this agency. It's because you have three people at an agency doesn't mean you don't get, you don't deserve to know how to do police work. Just that they're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we literally have people when we went to the online platform and allowed, cause we didn't want to do that, uh, for many reasons. Probably the biggest one is exposure. And when you expose yourself and open yourself up, open your book up for people to try to benefit from what you know, you're also exposing yourself to criticism. And I always remind guys in class, we are offering this stuff to you. You may find a mistake or two here in the tactics that we're seeing on this video, but let's not forget about the 98% of things that were great in this video. And this instructor has heard from people. You'll see in Kenny's videos, you'll see all the time we have new people. I would never put people in the front seat of cars. Let's take into account, that's fine. And that's your perspective. That's fine. Nobody's telling you to. But this gentleman, who is one of the top police officers in this country in the game of what we teach, has taken the time to show you what it looks like and what he's dealing with. And for you to take that opportunity to try to criticize what he's doing, instead of saying thank you for showing us what we need to know, I mean, it's, and by the way, I'm not even saying I wasn't one of those people. It just takes a little maturity, maybe a little education, a little perspective to 
behave a little differently. And when you're when you're surrounded with people who behave like that, you're going to act like that. Um, so you know, it doesn't. It's not a bad idea to be a different thinker at your agency, and maybe maybe not engage in in maybe in life in the rhetoric that other people are engaging in, which is negative talk, negative behavior, bad perspective. Woe is me. Start seeing it from the other side of it. You know what I mean? I'm going to pick me. There's plenty of stuff. Guys, It's you have the internet. You have street cop training. In 2001, when I started this career, you, you couldn't even fill out an application online. You were lucky if you could print it and mail it in. right? You, my first civil service exam, I had to go to the library, and they were out of applications. I had to drive to another library to find the applications because people came and took them. They were just paper full. You couldn't. They weren't online. You couldn't fill it out. It was 20 years ago already. I like what you said about, too, how the, it was the younger guys in the room had a certain emails, and then the older ones have a different set yeah, of emails. Yeah, yeah, They have the AOL accounts, right? <laughs> I mean, I remember, I think my first e- e- email account when I was 19 years old. That's when it, I was the first guy in my high school to have a cell phone, right? I was a senior in high school. I had enough money. I worked. I brought my mother to co-sign for me. I was 17 years old. But a cell phone, people can't believe that. Nobody had a cell phone. I remember texting my friends, and they were like, what are you texting me for? What is this thing? You know, it costs money to text. Guys, we would have to wait, you could tell everybody, till nine o'clock at night to talk to people because it was free nights and weekends. You'd say, don't call me now. In about 15 minutes, call me back at nine o'clock and I'll talk to you then. Right? And that was how it was. I mean, she knows we, nothing about this. No, zero. Right? Zero. But, but that's okay. It's kind of funny. And I tell people now, guys, we'll laugh at the days that we carry these things around. And had to bring charges and plug them in everywhere we went. This is going to be a joke in 20 years. Yeah. We'll be laughing about this. Uh, people don't want to believe it, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Beepers. That's it. Rest my case. I remember those. Yeah, how could you not? <laughs> you know what I mean? So tell us a little bit about all the different kinds of training that you guys do offer. Uh, so we have my class, which is a two-day program. I also teach case law for the state of New Jersey. We have deceptive behaviors and hidden compartments. That's Brad Gilmore. He's our second instructor who signed up at the company. Um, he is a court deemed expert on hidden compartments, vehicle hides, and narcotic trafficking. We have Ivory Tower, which is amazing. Tommy Rizzo is a captain in a very large agency in New Jersey. Uh, He's a very, very close friend of mine now. Our families spend a lot of time together. You listen to Tommy. I mean, there's nobody ever sat down with for the first time and listened to. And I was on the edge of my seat. And I wanted more. He's, he's He's excellent. He's having a lot of impact. And he's got a lot of clout. He's a very high ranking uh, member of the Law Enforcement Society of New Jersey. You met Sean Barnett today, life-saving medical tactics. Here's a guy who's done 75 combat missions uh, in support of special forces in Afghanistan and is a paramedic here. And he's also a fireman and has treated hundreds of gunshot victims, IED explosions, and now he teaches tactical medical uh, for police officers. So major trauma. Identifying criminal vehicles and occupants, Rob Ferrero, who's a sergeant in Warren Township, New Jersey. Rob is a legendary cop on the QT. So the people who are in the game know how good Rob is. When you hear Rob's program, like, people say, what is, what is your most underrated program? He gets so ra- overrated so fast. I don't say overrated. He gets so, people are like, yo, it's, that was amazing. I'm, I, I know, right? For some odd reason, Rob's like to keep it a little QT. His his program's outrageous. I mean, it's just, it was really good. Did you take it? Yeah, I isn't did. it nuts? Yeah, it is. His really thought good. process. These guys. So people say, what is the dynamic, uh, or what is the one factor that everybody has in common? It's these guys are so intelligent. I bought a monocular after that. Did you really after that class? Yeah. He's, Why didn't I think of that? Yeah, he's Something so intelligent. These guys are all so yeah. smart. Um, we have fundamentals of report writing, which is a very good class. Um, 
Mark Taglarini. We have Street, Street Academy, phenomenal training. Jeff Smith, 29-year veteran sergeant out of Ocean City, Maryland. <laughs> you want to talk about a class. And I tell people this. Um, here's a class that will keep you alive, and it's $175 to attend. If you think that your life is not worth $175, well, and I always find it comical. People go to college, they'll find themselves $91,000 indebted to a degree that they can do nothing with. And we're saying, hey, for $175, this guy's going to spend hours weekly and give 29 years of experience to, get, to put you through a program that'll keep you from dying. And then we have other case law programs as well. And you know what? Uh, we have other instructors. Zach Miller. Zach Miller's case law program. Zach Miller is a godsend. Zach is... Woof. You want to talk about a guy who is intelligent, stoic, full of humility. His case law pro his case law knowledge is you can't even be when I'm in question, I call him. Right? I'm last week, two weeks ago, I had to call him like three times. And I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. But people hit me with a side a sideways conversation. And I, I think I gave him the right answer, but I have a duty to ensure the answer I gave is correct. What do you think? They say, like, no, I think I think you gave the, the good answer. I gotta do is <laughs> I think you give a good answer. I would agree with you on that one. I agree with you. Zach is a great, you know how we became friends? I said something in class. I learned a big lesson about my, some cockiness. And I said, he said, well, you're, 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 uh, you're wrong on that. That's not correct. And I'm like, no, no, I'm right. But that's okay. You can think you're right. He's like, no, you're incorrect. And I'm like, all right, we'll talk in the break. Like I'm like brushing him off, not knowing who he was. And I'm like, let's talk. Um, and so we, we got to talk and I said, by the way, I'm sorry for behaving that way in class. I'm still learning. I'm sorry for behaving that manner. I want to apologize. And we discussed, I said, okay, so there was clearly a miscommunication. And by the way, I was wrong. I wasn't wrong in the sense that the facts that I stated were incorrect. I was wrong for behaving the way that I did towards him. And he told me recently, because the only reason I'm working with your company is because of how you behaved. I respected how you came and you, and I started class said, let's clarify what just happened before. And we heard him and I talked and discussed it. He was right, and I was right at the same time. We were both right. Uh, and if anybody was more wrong, it was me. Not knowing that Zach is this well-known, like he writes SOPs, like he's this guy in Virginia that everybody knows who is known as like the walking lord of case law. And thank God he's a nice guy. So because we felt like our personalities lined up in the, in the game of humility, we have combined efforts to try to provide training to cops. He's great. I mean, he could probably be making millions of dollars a year advising legally. He doesn't. He doesn't. And so could I. And we don't because that's not what we're here for. We're not here to defend those people. We're not trying to make cops' lives more difficult. I've been there, right? I know what it's like. And it's not fair. It's just not fair that the good guys aren't getting the right representation and right information. So we're, gonna, we're changing that. One thing I do love on your Facebook is that you will turn off the comments when too many people want to comment about something and their information's not correct. I, I love that for the fact that there are other platforms that that doesn't happen, you know, and so people will read through that and they'll pick and choose what they like and what makes them feel comfortable instead of what, what the well, right the truth thing is, is. Right. Yeah. 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 And we were just not there. Listen, the truth is the truth. The truth is undefeated. The truth doesn't always feel good. Right. And you want to know about the truth? Think about the first warm day in the summer when you decide to take off your shirt and go for a dip in the pool or into the lake. And you realized chocolate chip cookies are delicious, but they don't make you feel good in the summer. 
That's just a fact. So the truth is, you can pretend like it's not going to come up and bite you in the buns and eat chocolate chip cookies all winter. As soon as that weather breaks, that shirt's coming off. You're going, oh, man. The truth was, they weren't good for me. You were right. As you as you jiggle just a tad. Or you go back to short sleeves and your arms look like noodles. Yeah, yeah, you can have that, too. There's a lot of truths to things, you know? So it, it the truth doesn't always feel good, but it's always the truth. And there's a lot of things that I have to face about the truth. My wife reminds me of that frequently. So, so that's what wives are for, right? Yeah, no, it's the best. Listen, I, I think it's great. I have a, I'm in a wonderful marriage, so it's 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 hysterical. So so to kind of end things on a, maybe a lighter note, I noticed you like to show these videos in your training, kind of America's funniest home video style videos that you that people are like injuring themselves accidentally or kind of and you, you, you seem to like those kind of videos. Okay, it's not me who likes those videos. So here's what happens. Um, and I'm not a psychologist. I am just somebody who sat through three police academies. Things I noticed about police academies when I sat through three of them. So I did 77 weeks in academies, and two of them were not fun. One was okay, but still difficult. Um, three of them were not fun. I'm sorry, two of them were not fun at all. One was horrendous. The instructors that cursed, or in the South, cussed, um, those, those instructors always seemed to engage and had people's attention more. Those who broke up the monotony of topics that are not exciting with funny videos always made class much more pleasurable. I didn't look at how police do things to perform and put on our show. Because ours is a show. Everybody who teaches at our company puts a show on. Uh, and a show in an important way. I look at those who get paid $100,000 an hour to talk and what their programs look like. Not Steve, who comes to teach some horrific topic and is committing death. They call it bullet points for a reason because it'll kill you. <laughs> so when you're clicking through bullet points on a screen, it'll kill you. If you're doing, if you're listening to this podcast and you're doing presentations and bullet point after bullet point with no video visuals, any kind of way to visualize the topic. We have learned through other channels and personal experience that not only do we have to use visuals, and you'll notice that tomorrow, we're not, you're not going to see any bullet points on the screen. We have to recite case law today. You're going to have to see the language. In order to believe it, I can't even write it. I've actually screenshot it and highlighted it. So when you go back and they believe that you can't do this, you can say, look, it's literally clicked from the legal documentation, and he just put a red box around it. I have to put it there because it's believable then. If I just wrote it myself, you would think I made it up. It's crazy. I know it sounds nuts, but it's true. At some point, and depending on the feel of the room, and I've actually understood what was wrong with the room today a little bit, hearing about the law, even though it's very informative, any topic you discuss is going to feel monotonous. So these videos are strategically placed in certain spots to reset the brain. So you get a brain break, as they call it my son's school on the thing. You get a brain break, uh, and I think it probably something to do with the OODA loop a little bit. I don't know. I don't know much about the OODA loop, but... It gives your brain an ability to disengage, relax, and then re-engage back onto the topic. So I'll tell our instructors, if you can't find funny, find things where people get hurt. And for some odd reason, that seems to work really well. And people just love watching other people. You, If you want to believe how much people enjoy other people getting hurt on film, watch your kids when they see th people getting hurt. My son's new favorite movies are like Home Alone, Baby's yes. Day Out. Yeah, Stuff where people true. are getting the the crap beat out of them, and he finds it hysterical. I mean, you play with kids, and they punch you, like, ow, you know, like, so that goes into adulthood. 
if you can't find anything funny, you're trying to create content for your class, find things where people are getting hurt. You know, hitting their groins, coming off of a jump on rollerblades, uh, <laughs> falling off of roofs. Like, this stuff works great. And it's in every platform. So if you're teaching any kind of platform to interrupt your brain and give yourself a relax, anybody getting hurt is going to work. So I don't know what that says about us, but... <laughs> you know, and, and by the way, we're just human beings, right? Yeah. So, like... Yeah. I, we're not showing videos of people getting severely in, well, there's some of them that I think they've gotten severely injured. I like your demeanor and the way you teach. Thank you. And, and the foul language because Sarah and I, we're a good team because she brings the sweet element. <laughs> so there's been times we'll go somewhere and we'll pitch our new recruiting campaign or something and she's like, I think you'll take this audience because it's just different, right? The language yeah. is different. People respond differently to that. So I'm very Jersey too, by the way. Like, I'm as Jersey as it comes. I'm Italian and Irish, which is a big Jersey combination. I grew up Born and raised. Born Jersey. and raised in Jersey. Families from New York, Brooklyn. Uh, but this is the be. So I'd be inauthentic if I didn't curse, right? Um, and I think there's some honesty with cursing. I think when people are cursing. I think people trust you more. To be honest with you, when they when you're speaking openly. Um, and I know that in a dynamic like this, I can't use language that I normally use. That's just kind of who we are. I mean, it's, it's hard for people to understand this in the South. But I'm going to give you this, this this just a little insight. If you came to my house and didn't curse at my Christmas table. My family would think you're weird. <laughs> Where if I came here and did that, I'd be thrown out and have a turkey leg thrown at my head on the way out. But it's the truth. It's our culture of how we speak. And there's something very authentic um, for when somebody uses foul language of who they are because they're not holding back at all. I don't use foul language because I have an intention of pushing the boundaries and offending people. I use foul language because of the authenticity of who I am and because I need to keep people engaged. And entertained, and I've found through the years, those academy instructors who showed up and let it go, were the ones that we always remembered as being the best. And there's not many of them. I'm talking about three academies. I can tell you about three to five names that I can go back over. Some of them I'm still friends with, uh, that I thought were very good. Outside of that, those who came in and put a professional face on, not for this world, right? We're saying we're we're not going to curse in front of cops, but you know, you can go see somebody blow their head off three hours from now, or go to a, a triple fatal car accident, but you can't hear the F word in class. You know, we're going to go, we're going to go interview people who have been victims of some horrible assaults. Uh, it's not an easy thing to listen to as a cop when you got to sit down and hear somebody's traumatic story. Cause you're going to empathize cause you're human. And to say that cursing is not accepted in this profession, you got to understand what we're dealing with. And that's kind of our, uh, our way to our release. And I don't know if a, I don't know of cops that don't curse, to be honest. Anywhere in the country, I think, Jesus, we come to the South. Sorry, I know we're in the South. I didn't mean to say Jesus. My apologies. Uh, but we, you know, I mean, especially in the South. Yeah. Maybe not at the at the dinner table or at church, but certainly, um, and, and I'm not encouraging people to misbehave and act unprofessional. This is a closed environment where we're amongst people, our, our uh, you know, our confidants. So, um, but certainly... In the field, there's not much of a place to behave that way as a police officer. In a life and death situation, certainly, if it comes out, let it rip and let it rock. But outside of that, it, it doesn't come with the territory. It just it's it's internally, it's an internal thing that we do. So doesn't mean it's that we're not acting or behaving correctly. It's just that that's what people respond to. Well, we really appreciate you coming yeah, by and chatting with us. I know that you think that you're thanking me. I'm honored to be here. You know how cool it is to be asked to come and do this? Like, it's cool, man. That's real cool. And um, it's awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.